Welcome to Midweek Bible Study. My name is Natasha and I'm on the team here. And can I just say it is such an honor to just be able to share the word of the Lord today in a time where I feel like everybody is looking for a platform and a chance to share their opinions. I'm just really glad that I'm able to share the truth, which is the word of God. And so buckle up, as my roommate Jamaica would say, and uh, let's get into the word. So I love that we've all been uh, sharing our different Bible study tips and sharing how we study the Bible. I hope that you are encouraged to know that God wants to connect with you individually. We're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same church, but God created you individually and he wants to connect with you in a personal way. So hopefully all of these tips that you've been learning are helping you to study the Bible and figure out a way that works for you. Um, one thing that I love that we're doing as a church is the LA Strong Initiative. This month we're focusing on mental health, but last month we were focusing on physical fitness. And that's something that I've actually been doing for the first time in my life. Um, my friends and I are doing a challenge where we're just kind of encouraging each other, holding each other accountable to exercise. And so I have been running. Nobody told me when I turned 30, like when I got my 30th, uh, 30, the year 30 handbook, that like when I was running, my knee would start clicking. Like it sounds like I'm at a spoken word festival where my knees just like this the whole time. And so I've been icing it, a lot of Bengay, a lot of Icy Hot. I don't know if you can put those two together, but I am. And uh, just trying to survive. But one thing that I've realized when exercising is there's a real parallel between physical fitness and the dedication that it takes, and spiritual fitness. Um, I've been lifting my little weights. They're five pounds, but you know, I'm getting a little toned. And my sister was like, I've noticed that you look toned. And if she hadn't pointed that out to me, I would not have noticed because it's such a gradual thing. And I feel like that's the same thing that happens when you're studying the word of God. You don't notice the gradual spiritual changes that are happening until somebody else looks at you and says, hey, you look a little lighter. Like you used to be weighed down by anger. You used to be weighed down by anxiety. And I just feel like you're looking a lot lighter. Have you worked out? And you can be like, yeah, I'm lifting weights and hold up your Bible. So <laughs> when we gather together again, there are going to be some people who might not recognize you because you've been doing the spiritual work that it takes to be a whole person. So stick with it. Stick with the work that you are putting in. Um, I feel like I love Paul because he used a lot of agrarian or like farmer terms during that time because that was what people did. But he also used a lot of physical terms and analogies. And in Hebrews 12, one through three, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which is all the saints in heaven, let us throw off everything that hinders us, hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Paul knew that we would be caught up with weights that um, slowed us down, be it your job, be it the stresses of life, be it social media and the pressures that come from that. But we are encouraged in the Bible to throw off those weights, to keep running the race with endurance because there are saints in heaven who are cheering us on. So as you are continuing to focus on mental health, as we're transitioning in LA Strong, but also just as a lifelong principle. Keep studying your word. And in the same way, like you can't run once a year and expect to experience like the life changes that you want. We can't just read a verse once a year and like expect to experience like the spiritual healing and, and progress that we want. So just keep through it. Honestly, I don't necessarily always want to read my Bible all the time, but I also don't want to run all the time, but I feel stronger and I feel better when I do it. So I'm really excited for us to continue with this midweek Bible study and let's jump into the word. 
So when I was praying about this, I feel like God said, let's take them back to the basics. And so we've been talking a lot about Bible study. I wanted to show you how I individually do it and just walk you through the process. Because one thing that's so incredible about the Christian faith is that God wants to meet with us directly and he's equipped us to do that. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, we had a high priest who everybody had to go through directly. We couldn't go to God directly because we were covered in sin. But because Jesus came and died for us, we have the ability to go to God directly. And so, and he wants to meet you. Your pastor, Pastor Julian is so incredible at bringing a word. We have so many incredible speakers on staff who are able to communicate a word to you, but you have the power yourself to read the word and to have a personal revelation. So these tips are going to hopefully help you jump in. It's going to be like kind of when you find a workout video on YouTube, like kind of just a training for you to get the tips to know how to make yourself stronger spiritually. So to continue the studies on parables, we were reading the parable. It's called the parable of the sinful woman. You'll understand more why. Um, it's in Luke 7, 36 through 50. I am reading the NIV version. So um, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I love perfume, so this was an act of worship. Um, as she stood behind him at, the, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And when Jesus says, I have something to tell you, you got to like brace. <laughs> tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. It's so beautiful. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even, who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your desire is to be close to your children, that you desire to be reconciled with us so much so that you sent your son to die for us, Lord. I just thank you, Father, that we have access to your word. And I pray, Lord, that through the words that you've given me, that people will realize that they are able to connect with you personally themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one thing that I like to do after I've read a passage, I usually have a lot of questions because I was not born in Bible times. And so some of the references I do not understand. So one thing that I like to do is... Write questions about what stands out and then look for commentary. Now, asterisk about commentary. The internet is free. It is free to post your opinions on there. We do not want opinions. We want the Spirit of God to give us His Word. So when looking up commentaries, 
I would say one thing to do is to trust your discernment. Pastor Julian had a fire message a few weeks ago, a month ago, about discernment and how the Holy Spirit communicates to us. When you're reading a commentary that you found online, I would really stress the fact that you should check in with the Holy Spirit and be like, is this it? If you're feeling like this ain't it, it's probably the Holy Spirit being like, this ain't it. So trust the Holy Spirit in you and and check in with him as you are looking for commentaries. The other thing that I would do is double check everything with scripture. God is the Word. It says in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God will never contradict anything said verbally with the Bible. They should always reconcile. So keep those two things in mind. If you're looking for somebody to give you insight on the Word, and you're like, is this in line with what I believe and what God says? So I found a really great um, commentary from a professor who teaches at a theological seminary in LA. And um, some of the interesting things that I found that might help you understand this passage a lot more. So I was like, who are the Pharisees? Why was he cool enough with Jesus to invite him to his home? Because Jesus and the Pharisees a lot of times were at war with each other because the Pharisees felt like Jesus was calling them out and Jesus felt like they were being hypocrites, which they were. So a lot of times in this time, religious leaders would gather traditionally men, would gather around and just discuss um, theological concepts at the time. And it was usually a public setting. So if you invited somebody important like a rabbi, and at that time Jesus was one of the most important rabbis, you would invite the public over to come so that they could learn from the rabbi as well. So that's why all of these men were gathered together and Jesus was invited to come with them. And that's also how the woman was able to join. Because it was in a public setting, normally a courtyard, she was able to come and hear from the teacher as well. Um, I also had a question, how much was a denarius? A denarius is a singular. I was like, how much is this? Because I use dollars. Um, Apparently a denarius, which was normally a day's wage, would be... One denarius would be a day's wage, so 500 would be about one year's pay. One theologian that I found said that it could be about $85,000. And so I'm like, if you only make 50 in one day, the idea of paying back 500 was just impossible to you, which really stresses the fact of forgiveness that Jesus emphasized. Um, And then I was like, well, what are the customs of the day? Because why was Jesus emphasizing the fact that this woman did so much for him and Simon really didn't do a whole bunch for him? So customarily, if somebody came to your home, you had to give them a kiss. It was called the holy kiss, even if it was men. It was something that was pure and just showing us a sign of greeting. Um, You would wash their feet because they were wearing sandals, and so there was a lot of dust between those toes, and you were about to eat. So it was good to have a clean space. And then also you would sometimes anoint their head with oil. But none of this was done to Jesus. And so Simon, who invited him, showed him great dishonor. Even if he didn't agree with him as the, for their religious teachings, he should have shown him honor by the fact that he, Jesus was a guest in Simon's home. Wow. So... And I was wondering also about the woman because Jesus said her sins were forgiven after she had washed his feet. And so I was like, well, were her sins forgiven because she did that? But that's one reason why he specified that her faith had healed her. It was not because she had done all those things. Her faith was, her faith had healed her and her works were a byproduct of that. So now that you've looked up your commentary and you have discovered everything in the passage that you're reading, you have context and you understand what's going on. To me, this is the most important part, sitting with God and getting personal revelation. Pastor Julian is so great about emphasizing this for all of us, that you can hear any kind of word that somebody has. Um, And I really encourage you also, if a preacher's 
quote some kind of scripture to go back and look at it for yourself because it's really important. You might get a personal revelation, but also it's great to check that in your own spirit. Um, in Acts 17, 11, I believe, it talks about the Bereans who after they heard the apostles speak, they went to the scriptures to check and see if everything that they were hearing was true. And I love that because we think the New Testament, the Old Testament, but those people in the New Testament weren't thinking this is the New Testament. They were thinking this is Tuesday. So when they checked scriptures, they went to the Old Testament because they were living out everything that was happening in that time. But they still checked scriptures to confirm that everything that they were hearing was true. And they were checking people like Paul, Peter, the, the fathers of our faith. So it's important too that when we hear anybody speak a scripture, we also go back and check the word and confirm that what they're saying is true. And um, that also just ties in with sitting with the word and having personal revelation with yourself because God has something that is unique that he can share with you. It says in the word that um, it's alive and active and that it can cut through marrow, through bone, through the individual markings that make us who we are. So I could hear something and it would touch me personally. My roommates can hear something and it'll be relevant to their lives. So it's really important to just sit with God and ask him and be patient yeah. because he will meet you. Even if it feels like he's taking longer than our time and what we want him to when we're on a schedule, he will meet with you and he will reward your patience. It says in James 1 that whoever asks, like God will give whoever asks for wisdom, but they have to have faith and trust that it's going to come or else they're kind of like, I think a ball thrown around. Here's a great chance for you to check what I'm saying and confirm <laughs> that it's true. Hop in James 1, confirm that it's in there. I'm okay with saying, I'm okay with being wrong. So put in the chat if I was wrong or right. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, so... It's really important to learn the cultural context, and it's really cool to hear the story, but the times that I've changed the most is when God has spoken to me, when I've actually sat, when I've wept in my prayer closet, which is just my high school bed, when I visit my parents at their house and just like ask him what's going on in my life. And so when I did that, when I sat with him in this passage, I... I sat for like a week really trying to prepare and ask him like, what do you want me to say to the people? And it didn't come to me immediately. And a real act of faith was me releasing perfectionism and not trying to get everything done in the moment and just like let it breathe. So I let this message breathe. And throughout the week, I was just asking God, what do you want me to say? Like, what is a revelation that you have? Because I want to be touched by the scripture too. I don't just want to be like saying words to people. I want it to be something that touches my heart. And it finally hit me. My family kept asking me like, why are you just staring off into the distance because all week I'd just be sitting at a table just looking up at like the birds just like thinking and I was like I'm thinking about my message but like one day it really really hit me and so I would like to take you on a journey with me um, my incredible roommate Jamaica was talking about how some Christian people choose words of the year and she poked fun at it even though her roommate who shares a wall with her is one of those people um, and so I, I have forgiveness for her in my heart It took a lot, but we, we, we reconciled. Um, but my word for this year was identity. And what a year for that to be your word, because my identity has been rocked in every single sense. Literally everything is annoying to me right now because everything is an opinion. Everything is trying to get my attention. If I get one more text from somebody saying, did you fill out your census? Fill out your census, by the way. I did. I'm like, please stop asking me these things. Everyone is trying to attack me, or not attack me. Everybody is trying to vie for my attention. Everyone is trying to 
tap into some part of my identity. There's so much going on right now that is trying to attack the foundations of who I am. And then we add a pandemic on top of that. When I'm removed from everything that's happening, my normal world where I'm forced to really reckon with my thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts, I realized. Um, and just come to terms with those. But one thing that I realized in this time about identity is how much I've always been at war with different parts of myself. Um, I was born in Kenya. We moved to England when I was one. We moved to California when I was five. And whenever we go to Kenya, I never feel Kenyan enough because I don't speak Swahili. They hear my American accent and they're like, oh, she's not from here. Whenever in America, I've never necessarily felt American enough. When I was in elementary school, my parents would help me. My dad would help me with my chemistry homework. He was doing it a very different way. So I would like always <laughs> fail my assignments. My mom would help me with my spelling. She learned the Queen's English. So there'd be random use and random words. And so I would always get them wrong. So I'm like, man, I never felt American enough. I grew up in predominantly white areas. So I never felt black enough. But then like I would also not feel like I fit into those places because I am black, but I'm in a predominantly white area. Um, I've always been a nerd because I come from a very inquisitive family, but then I never felt smart enough. Like I, I had grades, I had grades, <laughs> but they were not necessarily like the best grades. And I hung out with all the AP kids, all the geniuses. So I like never smelt, felt smart enough. Um, when I turned 30, I'm 32. When I turned 30 is when I realized that I could not rely on my metabolism anymore and that weight was a very real thing and I actually had to exercise. But I'd always been the naturally skinny one. And so I was like, oh, that's not who I am anymore. And so then body dysmorphia is real. I had to go through this whole thing of like, what does my weight mean? And like, what does this mean for me as a person? And like, this is not part of my identity. And then I'm a recovering perfectionist. And before I was in recovery from my perfectionism, I would procrastinate on everything because in my mind, I wanted things to be perfect, but I knew that that was not attainable. And I knew that it would take so much work. And so I would put things off until the last minute because I was just crippled by all of the perfectionist thoughts that I had. And so these were the thoughts that were in my mind literally every day, just constantly warring, constantly just telling me who I was and that it wasn't enough. But then I just gave up. I could not do it anymore. And God stepped in and met me in that gap between me and all of my failings and himself. And I have to tell you that after having that realization, like I identify so much with the woman in this story because once you've experienced true freedom and forgiveness, the only posture is to lay yourself at Jesus's feet. Wow. That is the only posture that you can have. Once you've been, it's so interesting because it's kind of idiosyncratic because it's like you've been, the weights have been lifted off your shoulders, but you suddenly like gravity takes over and you just have to wow. lay at the feet of the father because he's the one who forgave. And with this woman, I don't know, I don't know if she chose, we don't know what she did, which is so interesting. I don't know if she chose the life that she was in that had people calling her a sinner or if she was forced into it. I love her all the same. But whatever she did, whatever was causing them to call her a sinner, she experienced freedom when she encountered Jesus and she had to show him the extent of her gratitude by bending at his feet. And I just, I relate to that so much because he has freed me from the long list of things that I said. And it's a lifelong battle for the record. Identity is a lifelong battle as long as we're in the, these bodies that we are in on earth. 
But man, it's so much easier knowing that at the end of the day, at the end of each moment, honestly, that I can check in with God and be like, he is the one who defines my identity. Not the thoughts that are in my mind, not nature versus nurture, not all the things that have told me who I am. Ultimately and originally, I am God's. And he put the original stamp on me, which is daughter. So it's so encouraging to me. Um, And again, we didn't know what she did, but we just knew that she was moved by freedom and by hope. And I love in Ephesians 2, Paul says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We literally had no hope of reaching God, especially if you are in no way like tied to the Jewish faith. We're known as Gentiles. We had no way of being connected to God and having hope. But because he came and made a way for us, we now get to spend eternity with Jesus. And so I'm like, man, we need to be like reveling in that more and the freedom that that comes with. The things that bother me, traffic, needing gas, I need a new car because my AC is not working and they're trying to say it's $5,000. I'm not paying that. Um, Those things don't matter because I have have eternity. There are very real issues that I'm facing in this day, but when I know that I have God on my side, like those things don't have to weigh me down as much as they used to. Um, Another thing that really stuck out to me is her works and her adoration came from her faith. I have generally been very works-based because I try to be very competent in all things, which is great. It can be very helpful, but I've had to go through an unlearning as a Christian because I tend to try to do my works and then hope that my faith will catch up, but it's the other way around. And I feel like Jesus very intentionally said, you've been forgiven. And then he said, your faith has been what forgave you. Go in peace. And so um, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says that we were saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's natural for us that if we do things, that we can boast and say that it was us who saved ourselves. And we can't get it twisted. It was all God. Um, And the Pharisees, we can't forget in this story because I'm still really struck by the fact that this man invited Jesus to his house, did nothing, called him out for everything that he did and had the nerve to like look at the woman and say that she's a sinner without looking at himself. And one of the commentaries that I read was saying how the Pharisees were upset because Jesus, this is my paraphrasing, but Jesus was reading their mail. Basically, they didn't like the fact that Jesus was telling them everything that was wrong because they were the studiers of the law. They were the holy ones. They were the ones that knew everything that was going on. And so if you think that you are right and then somebody comes and lovingly corrects you and tells you that your way of doing things is not actually correct, you'll probably be upset. And I realize that I'm the same way too because if you try to correct me in an area where I am aware that I need to change, then I'm fine. But if it's like a blind spot, then I can get defensive. And so in some weird way, it's easy for me to think that the Pharisees were wrong in their doing, but in actuality, I understand the defensiveness when you don't think that you're doing anything wrong. Um, I was listening to Pastor Stovall Weems, who he had a message at Legacy Nights earlier this year. If you haven't watched it, it's on our YouTube. And one thing that he said that really stuck with me is that Jesus came and the kingdom of God is for the poor. It is for the needy. It is for the downtrodden. And there's so many verses that talk about how how God says to look out for the widows, to look out for the orphaned, to look out for the overlooked. And um, I love this story because I feel like Jesus elevated her to her rightful standing. 
He looked at her and he saw her and he elevated her to the place in his kingdom where she actually should be. Even though society told her that she was not worth it, he saw her and said, daughter, you have been forgiven. And in Psalm 145, it says that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love that he is good to all, that he has compassion on all that he has made, which is you and me. And um, towards the end of the, the passage, it says that the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. And that is such a picture of her because she was literally physically at his feet. And Jesus is so consistent in all of the stories of him. You can see that he confirms all of scripture in the Old Testament. All scripture points back to him. And so in this way, he was literally modeling what we see in the Psalms, that he lifted her lifted her up and returned her to her right standing. Um, and that's what he wants to do with all of us. I think sometimes we see church and you might have encountered somebody like this in your life where that might've been you. And this was me at some points in my life thinking I should clean up before I go to church. Like I should pray and for, like ask God for forgiveness for all of my sins before I go in. I should like try and like be perfect before I go in. But God died for everything that we've done, present, past, and future. So we, and he already knows. That's the funny thing too. He already knows everything. So there's no point in us like trying to clean up because there's no cleaning up that we can do without him. Um, And I love the fact that she modeled the fact that she was called a sinner by everyone, but she had to be with her savior. She had to be with Jesus. And so regardless of the fact that she took a big risk to be around these men who had publicly criticized her, she went to see her savior. And so I hope if you know somebody who you're like, man, I keep praying for them. They're not coming to church. Or if you are watching this by some chance and you're like, I can't go to church. Like when things open up, I'm not good enough. Just know that you don't have to clean up your life to meet with the father. He can meet with you exactly where you are. And he wants to be involved in whatever process, whatever stage of life that you are in. Um, and I love the fact that he, the last, one of the things that starts to me the most is when he says to Simon, did you see this woman? And I think I go through a lot of life looking, but not seeing, especially God's children. And he, I put the emphasis on it. Did you see this woman? But I feel like my heart would have been burning if I were in that moment. Are we seeing the people who are around us? Are we seeing the opportunities that we have? Are we seeing the people that God has put in front of us who might seem like an inconvenience, but are the very people that Jesus died for and came to save? Are you seeing the moments in your life to encourage somebody? Are you seeing the little moments you have to like read a verse and uplift your spirit and uplift somebody else? Are you seeing the moments that God has put in front of you, the blessings that are put in front of you? That is something that I really want to take away from this passage, that I want to be seeing more, that I have more time in my life now, that I'm not going to work and not doing all of the things, to stop just looking and start actually seeing what's around me. Um, So I hope that this was really encouraging to you, and I hope that you took tips and realized the fact that you yourself can be a pastor in your own home. When the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, it came into a home. The first church was in a home, and it says that there were tongues of fire over the heads of all the believers, not just the owner of the home, not just the pastors, but all of the believers. So you have the opportunity also to speak the word of God. We are all pastors in this kingdom. And so you have the opportunity to speak God's word and to encourage yourself and people in your world. So let's go ahead and pray and steal this word that God gave us. Thank you, Father, so much for the fact that you use regular people to speak your word. I pray, Father, that people would be encouraged to know that they themselves can meet with you individually, that you are always speaking and that you have words to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks so much for joining me here today, church. We have some discussion questions coming up, so hold on and wait for those and stay tuned.